You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Unreal. 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 I mean, that dog hasn't even whimpered the last five minutes. And now, man, she's right on cue. That's Lars's dog, by the way, Charlotte, who's a cute little puppy and a wonderful, wonderful pet. But, man, she just has all of the timing in the world. Hey, welcome to the program, Lars, Matt, Justin. Got a great show lined up for you. Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7 will be on with us. And then at 1 o'clock... We'll be joined by the one and only Tim Brando, and I got to talk to him about the end of the West Virginia-Houston game, which we will all do in due time. In the meantime, it is Alabama versus Tennessee this week. <laughs> she does not like Tennessee, Lars. That's it. Apparently not. <laughs> she hates Tennessee and that putrid orange. Okay. Actually, I think their uniforms look pretty good. And their field... But they'll be at uh, Bryant-Denny this weekend, so we won't have to worry about those checkerboards and running through the tee and all that. But, Lars, I want to ask you and Justin both, because you are different generations, and I kind of am on the high end. But, Lars, is there a moment that in your life as a child even that you saw an Alabama-Tennessee game on ABC Sports on a Saturday afternoon and you went, wow, this is something special? Or was it just another game? Honestly, it was just another game. Uh, I happened to be at the uh, Terrence Cody blocked field goal game, and that's when I kind of understood that it was it was different. Um, I had never covered an Alabama Tennessee game, and I just attended that game uh, sitting in the stands. And um, yeah, I, I mean, you could just tell by the noise level of the crowd. Um, that uh, the, that the fans were more passionate about Tennessee than you know a, a normal team coming into Bryant Denny Stadium, but when I was little, I, I really I loved Johnny Majors. Uh, I thought Nebraska and Tennessee sort of had a lot of parallels, and uh, and 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 to me, and I've said this before, Alabama almost felt like just a a, a different country. Right from a kid growing up in the Midwest, like everything just seemed so foreign to me. How all the students dressed up and everybody had shakers, and it was just a, the, the, so many cultural differences, uh, just in 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 the appearance of of the fans, and then of course you'd see Bear Bryant on the sideline, and and uh, the just the uh, even through the television to like a eight year old. I could I could sense like the the gravitas of this man of, of just the fact that he was a legend and and uh, and it, it was just uh, it was it was quite magical to see that but again it just Alabama for some reason felt a long ways away and, and but Tennessee was a program that I, I'm more identified with but um, how about you Justin but but that that Terrence Cody game was just amazing and. May I say and, something real quick here? Yes. We'll get Justin's thoughts. Terrence Cody is actually going to be on our show Thursday. Cool. So, yes. Justin, what's your first memory of Alabama to Tennessee? Um, I was very young. I was born in 2000. It probably was the Terrence Cody um, block. I can remember being there and seeing it, but maybe not the context or, or the understanding of football at the time. 
I think it's very different, though, because I was also not old enough to understand or experience the, um, I guess, the controversy with Tennessee and Alabama and um, the fines or suspensions that they try to get levied on us. So I don't have that hate very much. And we've kind of been whooping on them for the past 15 years, so I've known nothing other than Alabama beating Tennessee. It's kind of been just a normal game for me. Of course, being a student, I understand the cigars, and I love that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, really just a normal game because we've always won by like 30 until last year. Well, I guess I'm the old school guy of the three because uh, I just remember, I can't remember the very first game I watched, but it was on a black and white Magnavox in uh, Huntsville, Alabama. And a guy named Bailey caught a deep pass to really start the game, and I just felt it. Another thing, later we got color TV, by the way. But uh, the one thing I do remember that was just so cool when we got color is that back in those days, they would allow Alabama to wear their – they played at Legion Field. They would allow the Crimson Tide to wear crimson, and Tennessee could wear their burnt orange. And it was just this wonderful sea of fall colors. And then, of course, this has been one of the most streaky series – in all of college football, Tennessee would win seven or eight in a row. Then Alabama would, what was the last time? They won 15 in a row. Is that right? Till they lost last year? I believe so, yeah. But it's just been a, a tremendous rivalry and a lot of fun. And, man, it is going to be wild in Tuscaloosa this weekend as Alabama takes on Tennessee. Now, Lars, any thoughts on the actual game? Have you done a deep dive into this? Uh, a little bit. Um you know, I do want to get into uh, here in a second, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on it because I know it's it's uh, not a topic that excites a lot of our listeners. But the NCA president, Charles Baker, is at testifying right now at a Senate hearing, and there is some news coming out about that name, image, and likeness. But before we get to that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm just... Uh, I, I, I'm really interested in Alabama's offensive line play. And um, because Alabama now, and, and you were right, you mentioned this yesterday, Matt. Alabama currently ranks 130th out of 133 teams in sacks allowed. They've given up 31 th sacks through seven games. And, you know, uh, Nick Saban, when he was asked about, are you concerned? His response was, hell yeah. And, um, you know, but Saban is adamant saying that it's not an ability issue. It's not a physical ability. It is sort of a mental errors and, and all five guys not working together. And, um, you know, maybe it's Jalen Monroe holding, holding the ball too long. Um, but if you just look at the Arkansas game on Saturday, all five sacks came from the left side and the protection of either uh, Proctor or Pritchett, who are rotating reps at left tackle. And, you know, some have been speculating, and Nick Saban was asked about this, about moving All-American right tackle J.C. Latham over to the left. Uh, so then he would be protecting uh, Jalen's blind side. But then that creates problems on the right side. And so if, and then Nick basically was saying, look, the right side is good. We're just going to focus on getting the left side right. And, you know, these guys have talent. 
Uh, Proctor, he started all seven games at left tackle. And got to remember, he's a true freshman. But Pritchett is beginning, getting more reps since the Ole Miss game. And, um, and, and so Alabama's also made a switch at right guard the last two games with uh, uh, Jaden Roberts starting in place of uh, Dalcourt. But um, in, the, in the three players on the line that have started in the same position all year, uh, when healthy, have been Latham at right tackle, uh, Tyler Booker at left guard, and Seth McLaughlin at center. And, you know, McLaughlin's had issues. Obviously, Booker's had issues. Um, and now here comes Tennessee, right? This team is third in the SEC in sacks, has two of the best defensive ends or the best tap, tap, pass rushers in the league in, in James Pierce Jr. and, and Tyler Barron. And it's going to be a challenge. And, and, and Matt, it's, the more I think about it, this offensive line, I can't believe I'm saying this. I, this is a sentence I've never said before. This offensive line is going to determine how far Alabama goes this year. I truly believe that because Alabama's going to have to be able to, one, run the ball at least a little. They haven't been able to do that. But just, and, and then give Jalen some time to throw the ball, especially, you know, he's so good on, on, on hitting those deep shots. So. Uh, that that's the position group I'm really uh, going to be focused on on Saturday. So, how about you? How about you, Matt? Well, I think like you just said, running the football is key. I mean, it's key to all of college football. But you know, they ran the ball. If I read this correctly, they ran the ball okay against Arkansas. I got this right. They ran for 196 yards. That includes sacks. Um, Williams, McClellan, Haynes, and Miller all contributed to that so again that's arkansas uh but arkansas is pretty good up front you know and to get nearly 200 yards in this game the more i talk about this the less i think that that was that the number i'm trying to look it up right now um but yeah uh running the football and this has been true with some of the alabama teams in the past defense will keep them in any game that defense can keep Alabama in a game against Tennessee, game against Georgia. Speaking of Georgia, uh, as we go on a break, Lars, just a, a quick comment on Brock Bowers. He could be out up to a month. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it could stretch even to six weeks, and you, you feel bad for the guy. He had that uh, that, that same surgery that uh, a couple Alabama players had, including two a few years ago on the high ankle sprain. And I think they're just, they really want to get him back for the games that matter. And that's going to be the SEC championship game. And uh, from their perspective, they believe it will be the college football playoffs as well. Hey, we're going to come back and talk Bama football with Bama 24-7's Mike Rodak. As you listen to Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. 
Throughout the entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny sky this afternoon, the high today 68 degrees. Clear tonight, the low 46. Tomorrow, sunny with a high at 73. Thursday, clouds gradually increasing, a chance of showers Thursday night, the high Thursday at 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 65 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. Big Noon Sports. Many of our segments are sponsored by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker, Advantage Realty Group. She'll be along for a Hate Tennessee Friday at Innisfree, the place to be. Drop by, get a burger and some beer, have a lot of fun. We're going to be watching um, Alabama, Tennessee on Saturday and all the other games that are taking place this weekend. We're joined now by Bama 24-7's Mike Rodak. Mike, how are you today? Doing well. How are you guys? Pretty good. We've been talking uh, yesterday and today about Alabama's offensive line and how they're trying to mix and match and make it work. How do you see that line moving forward? And I say this knowing full well that they rushed for 177 yards, and that includes the sacks. So are they getting better? Have they found a rotation, or is it still a work in progress? Well, still definitely a work in progress. Um are they getting better? I think to some degree, but there's also some things that are pretty persistent in terms of the pass protection issues, in terms of the penalties. The run blocking, I'd actually argue, has maybe gotten worse from where it was early in the year. That's kind of been Nick Saban's argument, and he wasn't really too happy with the running game um, outside of that first drive in the second half on Saturday against Arkansas, uh, you know, and ahead to three big, long runs. And really after that, they were kind of spotty and they've been spotty for a few weeks now so um in terms of the personnel at this point i I think you just continue to have to do what you've been doing which is try to find some sort of who's the better left tackle in in caden proctor or elijah pritchett which means you're probably still playing both of them which is crazy to think that we're still rotating guys but um if, if neither one of them is playing that well, then I think you've got to continue to look at the other one. So that's one spot. And then, you know, right guard is somewhat of a question with Darian Dalcourt. You know, his health has, I guess, been an issue the last couple of weeks, which is why Jaden Roberts has been there. Roberts has played decently well. Um, did have a penalty, I think, against Arkansas. So, you know, does he continue to stay in that role? That's That's one of the questions going into this game. But, you know, you're not there's no magical fix personnel wise. I think it's just, you feel pretty good about your left guard and your right tackle. And if Seth McLaughlin can snap the ball, well, I think you feel okay about him and it's just, can you get by at right guard? Can you buy at left tackle? And nothing's really going to change at this point. Um, 
you know, personnel wise, nobody's going to be swooping in and helping you. So speaking of left tackle, Caden Proctor, uh, I, I vividly remember uh, signing day. You know, he's he's the top ranked player in Iowa. He's one of the top ranked offensive tackles in the entire nation. Five star by basically every site. He is committed to Iowa and he comes out on signing day and boom, goes to Alabama. And I, I've, uh, you know, I'm from the Midwest and I have a lot of friends uh, in Iowa and they just, they couldn't believe it. I mean, they thought they had this kid locked down for years and, and that he absolutely was going to be, you know, a three-year starter uh, at left tackle, garden the blind side, and then um, move on to the NFL. And, you know, he's a multi-sport athlete, really good basketball player. So he's athletic, big, 6'7", 360. And he gets to Alabama, and man, <laughs> it's just a, it's been a struggle. Uh, have you seen flashes from him? I and, and just your overall assessment because I, I really I believe that this kid is going to be a phenomenal player, but it's just not happening right now. Right, and you know I think part of that is coming from Iowa. I mean, Iowa high school football is not going to be as strong as some of the guys that have come from IMG, whether it's been Evan Neal or J.C. Latham, Tyler Booker, and in general, you know, the highest level of high school football is going to be in Florida or Texas yeah. or Georgia. No, that's a great point. I didn't talk and, about yep. And it's, you know, it, it's a projection. Um, and that's that's some of the, the problems sometimes, even, you know, not to get too off track, but a quarterback. Ty Simpson was a five-star prospect, but he was playing kind of mid-level high school football in Tennessee versus Dylan Lonergan, who was a lower-ranked prospect, but he was playing high-level college or high-level high school football in Georgia. And right now, it seems like Lonergan might even be, you know, more. there's more potential. He's further along, maybe, than, than Ty Simpson is. So it, it's kind of where you come from, I think, definitely plays a role in, in what sort of competition you had at that level. And I think we're finding out right now that maybe Caden Proctor's competition in the Iowa high school football circuit wasn't, enough to prepare him for the SEC. And, you know, that, and it may change, and that, that continues to be the messaging from his teammates, from Saban, is that, you know, nothing's going to be perfect your freshman year and you kind of stick with it. And we may be talking a year or two from now about him being an all-SEC type of player. Like, I want to doubt it. But, you know, Evan Neal stepped in as a freshman and, and played really well. There's been freshmen who've played along this offensive line. Um you know, Proctor was kind of forced into it too. I mean, I, I think it was a mistake for Alabama not to go and find a, a tackle in the portal uh, like they did last year. You know, after they lost Neal to the NFL, they went out and got Tyler Steen as a fifth-year guy, and you know, veteran kind of steady, and ended up doing really well for himself. Was second-team All-SEC, third-round pick in the NFL. They kind of went into this season saying it's either going to be Proctor or Pritchett, and Pritchett's a second-year guy who barely played last year, and that I think was a gamble. Um, and they lost a couple tackles through the portal. And Amare Kite and Tommy Brockemeyer and Damian George, you know, George and Kite had, had played a little bit. They had some experience. So they didn't really replenish that. And that was a risk. And I think they're, um, you know, they're, they're kind of feeling that right now. Hey, Mike Rodak, by the way, is our guest, Bama 24-7. What is the latest on Malachi Moore and any other injuries of significance? Yeah, I, I mean, given more kind of watching him in pregame warm-ups on Saturday, 
moving around pretty well. Um, you know, Nick Saban called him a game time decision last week, and then he said after the game that they were never going to play him. So <laughs> read into that as you will. Um, but it seemed like he was good enough to be out there running around warm ups, and at that rate, you give it another week, I would be surprised. You know, if, if he doesn't play against Tennessee, which I think, you know, maybe there's some thinking going into it that you rest him against Tennessee and you have the bye week after and you come back against LSU. But, you know, there's obviously a, a pretty large importance for this Tennessee game. Um, it's an offense that is not great passing compared to what they were last year, but there's still some explosive potential. And, you know, I think you need them. So I would expect him to play. And um, the other two injuries that kind of came out of that game were, were CJ Dupree, the tight end, who, the hamstring. Um, I don't think he's been practicing so far this week. Hasn't really been much of a factor when he's been on the field in terms of the stats. So, you know, if he doesn't play, I don't know if it's a huge loss. Uh, Tresman Marshall is the other one who kind of came out of that game. I think it was a rib injury, is what Saban said. And not totally sure if he's been practicing this week or not. But, um, you know, Tennessee's one of the best rushing offenses in the country. Marshall's pretty good against the run. So that is somewhat, I think, if they can get him back for Saturday, they certainly will try. Yeah, and uh, just speaking of Tennessee, just give us your overall assessment of, of, of the of the Vols and, and what you have learned in your study of them so far uh, this week and just what you've seen this year. Yeah, I mean, totally different offense, not necessarily schematically, but in terms of what they're good at compared to last year where, you know, they came in as, and they finished the year as, you know, the best passing offense in the country with Hooker and Jalen Hyatt, and, you know, the explosive plays and throwing all up and down the field. Yeah, Tennessee's still going to run really fast. They're going to run tempo. They're going to do the wide splits with wide receivers, but they're going to run the ball. And they're one of, I think they're number five in the country in rushing yards per carry. They're number five or six, I think, in, in yards per uh, game. And, um, you know, they're the best rushing team in the SEC this year. They have, I think, three out of the top ten guys in yards per carry. So, and they really did pretty well on the ground against an A&M defensive front that completely shut down Alabama's running game. It was really good going into that game. So um, that's that's going to be the main matchup for me is that Tennessee offensive line versus Alabama's front seven. It's strength against strength. Uh, obviously, Alabama's been really good against the run this year. Um, so which one breaks? And if Alabama can stop the run, you know, can they limit any of the potential of Joe Milton? Because Joe Milton's statistically has not done very well this year um but he's you know he's kind of what max johnson is statistically but the potential for joe milton is still there athletically his arms legs uh he has a much higher ceiling and you just don't want that to show up all of a sudden on the field on saturday um in a key moment so you know it's still you still have to be leery about tennessee's passing game just in case how do you feel like Let's talk special teams for a minute. Just this tandem. Is it the best? I think it's the best tandem in all of college football. Are they both All-Americans? I think Will Reichert has a pretty good shot. Um, you know, Burnup has some pretty good competition out there. And obviously the injury, you know, I don't know how much it's going to matter. But I know Nick Saban said, you know, the, the Texas A&M game, he was actually kind of happy that uh, – Burnup was not in there because he thought Burnup's hang time wasn't good enough and they were giving Anaya Smith chances um, against A&M. So he actually thought it was better to have Will Reichert in after Burnup's injury and he got some more hang time and kind of limited the return. So statistically, Burnup's up there, but I think Saban still has some hesitation about the uh, 
the hang time and, and giving opponents opportunities. But um, I think combined, they're the two best specialists that any team has. Um, and that's that's obviously big this year because, you know, your margin's a little bit smaller on offense. You're not scoring as many points. You're not getting as many yards. And um, if you can steal some field position on punts and, and be able to hit some field goals, then, you know, that's be pretty important this year. Mike? I always just assume before asking, and now I'm putting you on the spot live. Can you hang for another 10 minutes? I know you got player interviews at 1 o'clock. Yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you. Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7, brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker, Advantage Realty Group. Back in just a couple of minutes. Everybody is the Big Noon Sports Network. It is just that, Big Noon Sports Network. In Tuscaloosa, we're broadcast on Tide 100.9 and also glad recently we have picked up another affiliate. And that's the heritage station that I know so well. And that's WTBC 1230 in Tuscaloosa. Hey, our guest is Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. I got a media question that I actually think that our listeners and viewers will be very interested in. Today is player interview day. Of course, yesterday Nick was at the podium from about 12, 12, 15. How does that work? And uh, who are the th- three players? And do uh, do they alter? I imagine they have to. Yeah, so it's typically you have Nick Saban at noon on Mondays, and then there's two players that will go to the podium right after him every Monday. Um, and then there's three that go on Tuesday. And it, it alternates uh, to some extent. There's not exactly a, a formula, but there's only so many names on the list of players that are approved by Saban talk to the media. So as we all know, there's no freshman on there. And then even then, um, it's usually limited to veteran players who they trust um, and who have played and, and done some things on the field. So like even the transfer guys that they brought in. I I don't even know if we've spoken to CJ Dupree. I don't think we've spoken to Tresman Marshall that I can think of. Um, we did speak to Jalen Key once, but like it takes a while for some of these guys to um, you know, get on the list. And there's kind of their favorites like Kool Aid and um, Dallas Turner this year or two of the bigger ones. You know, Jalen Burrow's certainly been in a lot recently. Um so and it used to be you know, they would kind of go in a little bit of a scrum with us and was a more relaxed. Now some of them are walking up to a, you know, a lectern on the podium and getting in front of a microphone. And um, that tightens them up a little bit. You know, some of these guys haven't done a whole lot of that. So um, it's a little bit more stiff than it was when I first started five years ago um, when you're just kind of standing next to a guy and just kind of chatting. But it's uh, just kind of how things are. But, you know, it's, I don't think we're going to hear them say that they hate Tennessee and they're going to win by 30. Like, uh, you know, obviously they're trained. There's a lot of media training that they go through to uh, yeah. avoid those sort of things. There's some serious media training. Um, okay, just out of curiosity, who were the two yesterday and who are the three today? Oh, yeah, uh, Milrow and um, uh, Deontay Lawson yesterday. The three today, it's Kool-Aid, um, Tyler Booker, 
and there's one other who I'm completely blanking on that I probably should know. Um, but again, there's probably like, I think right now, probably 12 or 13 guys total out of the 85 that are in the rotation. Um, and that's it. <laughs> Um, what have you thought uh, just uh, of Jalen Milrow when uh, you guys have a chance to interact with him? Has his confidence, uh, has it, have you seen it, you know, dip and then come back? Or uh, just sort of like the, the body language that you see uh, that you don't necessarily, you know, are, are, are going to be writing about? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I, I don't have a great base to compare it to last year. Because he did, obviously, you know, at the Arkansas game and the A&M game last year. And that was when I was out on paternity leave last year. So I didn't really get to see him up close um, to compare it to. So really the first time that I've seen him talk was probably, I don't think they let him talk until after the Middle Tennessee game this year. Because they didn't let any of the quarterbacks talk during the competition in the fall. Um, and, you know, it was very... Um, Started after that, um, even you know going into the Texas game, and and I think we talked to him again, you know, after the not the South Florida game, but the one after that, the Ole Miss game, and yeah, I think he's he's gotten more comfortable with us, but at the same time, like he's very, um, he kind of plans out what he's going to say, and not necessarily answering the question, he's just kind of answering what he wants to to say. So again, that's following their training to a T. Um, and Bryce was like that to a certain extent too. Bryce, you know, he kind of just got a long monologue that didn't really say a whole lot, but, um, you know, again, I think the players are always kind of concerned about becoming a headline or becoming a soundbite and, um, you know, what that would mean for their social media, um, people coming after them, what that would mean for having to go answer the next statement. And, uh, you get a lot of players that are just very, very, very careful with what they say to us. Yeah. Can we they, switch topics to uh, basketball real quick? Yeah. Who is Boogie Fland? And are they trying to do something with the Earth, Wind, and Fire song, Boogie Land? <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I, I have not followed the uh, the recruiting end of, of basketball probably as much as I should have. We, we have a recruiting guy um, at you know, Bama 24-7, whereas when I was at AL.com, we kind of handled a little bit through recruiting ourselves. So I, I don't know the ins and outs of, of where um, – he's looking and, and kind of what's the favorite. I know certainly he would be a, a big get um, for them. And, you know, they've they've been in on some guys for, for 2024. They haven't gotten anybody yet in terms of commitments, but that's kind of how, you know, college basketball works. That You're going to take some big swings, and um, it might only be one or two guys that they get in this signing class. But if you can get a five-star, you know, high-level guy, then that could change your season the next year. And otherwise, you're probably building through – the transfer portal, um, which is obviously what Oates has done more and more. They brought in four guys out of the portal this year. So, um, you know, you, you kind of take a big swing so you can get a big high school kid, but you're not going to be taking three, four, five guys as much anymore and developing them out of high school. It just isn't the way of college basketball. Do you think uh, Michael Penix Jr. is uh – really on the fast track to winning the Heisman Trophy after kind of out-dueling Bo Nix in Seattle, Washington on Saturday and also combine that with Caleb Williams' uh, lackluster performance against Notre Dame Saturday night? Right now, certainly, yeah. Um, that's uh, 
you know, it's still a little bit early because Washington does have that to go to USC in a couple weeks. Um, and, you know, the conference title game would still come into play there. So if you see Oregon again there, um, that gives Bo Nix another chance to, to show something. Um, so, you know, it's there's still a long ways to go. But I, I'll say this. Alabama could really lose, use a loss from Washington um, because that's the, the, pack, the prospect of a Pac-12 champion being undefeated could potentially hurt Alabama's chances if, if they do run the table here. They win the SEC. They're one loss conference champion. You want somebody to have a loss somewhere else. You don't want four other undefeated conference champions because that's that's bad news for Alabama. So. In particular, Washington, I think, is a team to watch where Alabama fans should be rooting for them to lose uh, between now and December. In that same uh, vein, what should Alabama fans be rooting for? For Oklahoma to go undefeated and if they play Texas again in the in the, in the the Big 12 championship game for Oklahoma to win that? Or for for Texas to win that? that because that then, I would assume, could open up the possibility of two teams from the Big 12. Yeah, well, I think either way, Alabama would be in trouble head-to-head against either of those teams. You know, a one-loss conference champion, Alabama, I don't think would get in over Oklahoma being undefeated. And I don't think they would get in over Texas being a one-loss conference champion because you have the head-to-head. I think the best-case scenario there is Oklahoma taking a loss before the conference championship, still getting there, and then beating Texas. You have a one-loss conference champion, Oklahoma, that doesn't have the head-to-head game against Alabama. That would be the best-case scenario, but... As it stands right now, even with the SEC title, Alabama would not be guaranteed to get into the playoffs. They need somebody to lose somewhere. They need the ACC. They need North Carolina or and or Florida State to lose. They need something to happen in the Big Ten. It needs to happen somewhere because you don't want the scenario of having four undefeated teams everywhere else or having you know Texas being the team that you're going up against and having lost to them directly. Final question for you, Mike, because you've got to get to your player interviews here in just a minute. But Bowers is out for at least four weeks. Uh, Georgia's off this week. Then they've got Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, UT. I guess my question here is just, can Georgia win it all again without him? I, I So, you know, I think they'll get him back. It seems like reasonable amount of time might be around – the SEC championship game. You know, I, I don't know if they'll rush them back to play Georgia Tech at the end of the year, but um, if they can get by, and, you know, I think they're still very much capable of winning the SEC East. I think they're very much capable of beating Tennessee, beating Mizzou, beating Florida. If they can do that, you have a really good team outside of Bowers, um, then you have them back for the SEC championship game, and then you have them for the playoff, and I think certainly capable of winning a national championship there. Um, and people forget, too. I think people kind of have this idea that Georgia's this ground and pound defensive team. They're number five in the country last week in, in passing offense. Um, and Bowers is a big part of that, but there's other players too. Like Lad McConkie's a very good wide receiver. Um, and that, that passing offense is, is pretty capable. So um, I want to write them off um, the next couple of weeks just because they don't have Bowers. Yeah. And uh, just final question for you. Uh, since we're not going to have a chance to talk to you before the uh, Alabama-Tennessee game. 
What, what are you going to be looking for on the Alabama side? Uh, in, I, I was talking earlier, I'm going to be focused on offensive line, but uh, what position group or particular player uh, are you going to be looking at early to see how they're performing and how that ultimately will impact the result of the game? Yeah, I think it's both lines. I mean, offensive line, certainly, um, and that's kind of been the norm. I think you go back the last four games and those opening drives, um, the last four games, I think, have all ended in sacks. Um, you know, this past weekend, I think Moro ran for like two yards of third down, um, basically a sack. So, you know, right away, you can tell that there's there's been issues with the offensive line each week. You know, defensive line, too, like I mentioned earlier, was they're going to be tested, I think, probably more than they have at any other point this year uh, with this Tennessee offensive line, with this Tennessee running game. And, you know, I think we're going to find out if this, this defense is truly elite. I think they're certainly very good. Uh, but these next couple games against Tennessee, against LSU, which is one of the best offenses in the country, and even against Kentucky, which is a top eight rushing offense in the country, uh, that's that's when you're going to find out if this front seven is, is what we've seen uh, truly so far this year. Always a pleasure, Mike. You're just chock full of information. Appreciate you joining us in the job that you do. Have a great week. You got it, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thank right. you, Mike. Awesome as always. Yeah, um, he's really dialed in. He yep. does a great job. That's Mike Rodak. You can find him on Bama 24-7. In fact, I just looked at, went to the website, and uh, he's got a really good read concerning Alabama offensive line. So I know everybody wants to read that, right? Lars, I sent you and Justin a story that has literally gone viral about something that happened in high school football in this state that is uh, just about as troubling as I've ever read. Uh, I want to get you guys' thoughts on that as we continue on Big Noon Sports. Go inside the Alabama Crimson Tide with the Gary Harris Show. Hey, everybody. It's Gary Harris. Coming up on the Wednesday edition of the Gary Harris Show at 9 a.m. It's the NASCAR Report with Matt Coulter, also the Bama Football Recruiting Report, and a surprise guest as well. All that and more, 9 a.m. on the Gary Harris Show. Catch the Gary Harris Show Monday through Friday, 9 to 11 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. 
Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny sky this afternoon, the high today 68 degrees. Clear tonight, the low 46. Tomorrow, sunny with a high at 73. Thursday, clouds gradually increasing, a chance of showers Thursday night, the high Thursday at 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 66 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Thanks, and welcome back to the program. It's Matt, it's Lars, it's Justin. And I read this story Saturday, and just really, golly, it just irked me. It did more than that, but I'm not going to go into great detail because I might end up using some words I shouldn't, that wouldn't be appropriate, and I don't want to, you know, accuse somebody too quickly. But this story reads very clearly as to the point of Coosa Christian High School's coach, Mark Mark O'Brien. They played against, uh, I want to say hoax, Cedar Bluff. They played Cedar Bluff this past Friday night. The final was Coosa Christian 94-7. 94 points. In post-game comments, I'll read this verbatim from the Yeah, this is, un- this, Matt, story this, that was written. this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Yeah. Go ahead. Coosa Christian coach Mark O'Brien acknowledged he ran up the score and told the Gadsden Times it was in response to Cherokee County School Superintendent Mike Welch attempting to sabotage the Coosa Christian program. The paper also reported the Gadsden Times times that O'Brien did not elaborate. This is horrible. Uh, I'm, I've gone to the point where I think I should write a letter or something. I mean, this, <laughs> this, this is a major so, call down here. He did it on purpose and then admitted it. And I've dug behind the scenes. And his quote about sabotage was simply somebody reported what they thought was an ineligible player. I don't, I don't think that's sabotage, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, so the, the... Association checks it out. They, yeah. They're either in or out. And they... Uh, the... AHSAA required uh, Cusa Christian to forfeit four victories for playing ineligible players. So this 94-7, one of the most lopsided outcomes in recent history in the uh, state of Alabama. And uh, Cedar Bluff has been playing football since 1930. And that was their biggest defeat in history. So nearly 100 years. And the fact that uh, Bryant did this, um, look, you and I are of the same sort of belief that we are real hesitant to call for people's jobs, right? But he needs to offer a massive heartfelt apology and do it quick. Otherwise, uh, the athletic director of Cusa Christian uh, is going to be under immense pressure to uh, get rid of Mark O'Brien. And uh, I don't know what kind of relationship they have, but this is the absolute definition of, it's not even poor sportsmanship, Matt. It is 
horrendous sportsmanship. sportsmanship. Just, and yeah, and, and why are you you got a personal beef with the superintendent of Cherokee County and you take it out on these 16 and 17, 18-year-old kids who are obviously overmatched. Just ridiculous. Just ridiculous. You know, the more I think about it, fire his ass. You know, uh, I I think they should. I'm surprised that at least the school hasn't come out with an apology. And if they have, then, you know, I, I'm sorry I haven't seen that yet, but I've been scrolling around on this story all morning and parts of the last couple of days. But uh, I would think the school would at least step up. Uh, I haven't heard anything from... The superintendent either. Well, it's pretty in his crazy. Case is probably, in his case, it's probably best to just not say anything until Cusa well, Christian does. The superintendent, Mike Welsh, right, he served for 20 years as the principal at Spring Garden High, and he was elected as superintendent of Cherokee County. He's the son of legendary Spring Garden basketball coach Dale Welsh, for whom the Spring Garden Gymnasium is named. So it's it's not like uh, Welsh is is new to the scene here, <laughs> like it, it, you know. And, and if uh, there's got to be some form of due process as well, when when the uh, Alabama High School uh, Association Athletic Association causes you to forfeit games because of ineligible players, I mean the evidence has to be presented. Uh, to Kusa uh, Christian, but yeah, Matt, this is just Bush League and uh, terribly inappropriate and this is a coach thinking that his personal vendetta is more important than uh, the integrity of the game and uh, and also I mean, how is this really sticking it? I, maybe I'm not understanding something here but how is Mark O'Brien, as a coach of Cusa Christian, how is he really sticking it to Mike Welsh? He's not. That's what <laughs> I mean, because he because he, he comes from Spring Garden, right? That's I mean, right. that's where he yeah. was the principal for twenty years, and that's where his dad was a coach, and that's where the gym is named after his dad. He's not he's not from uh, Cedar Bluff, the team that they absolutely just steamrolled. In a, in a completely inappropriate fashion. Hmm. Well, he's the superintendent of the county, of Cherokee County. Um, and I guess that's why we said, you know, if somebody turned him in, maybe it was Welsh. If it's against the rules, aren't you supposed to enforce them? I mean, this guy's yeah. an Alabama High School Athletic Association person. I certainly find no fault. But I was kind of like you at first. It's like I'm, I might be missing something here. Or I, I might be finger pointing without enough knowledge. That's not the case. Yeah. I have really, I've made some phone calls. I'm not going to identify my sources here, but trust me. All right. I wouldn't say it if I didn't believe it. But evidently, this guy was still playing his ones with two minutes left in the game. And it was wow. just very, very obvious and very, very intentional. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the, the score certainly reveals that. And uh, it, that is. Uh what a horrible example. This is something Deion Sanders would do. <laughs> oh, See, there's the line attributed to Lars Anders. Yeah. Okay. No, I um, you know, look, and and I've said this. I've I've I have uh I, I've sent it out on my my Twitter feed to, you know, my, my followers. 
that uh, the reason that these Colorado kids, these Colorado players are acting so poorly is because the adults in the room aren't acting like adults in the room. And they're uh, the uh, kids imitate adults. We know this. You and I know this. It's, it's dads. Is now it's your grandfather. Your grandfather. Like we we look up to the adults. Uh, we look up to authority figures when we're young. We emulate their behavior. What is this guy doing in terms of the message that he is sending to these kids who are playing their asses off for him? I got uh, two more statements. I want to bring Justin Justin in since he's probably closest to high school football he didn't finish too long ago but uh yeah last week i was told yesterday <laughs> you can't get through to the uh to the school to Cusa christian their lines are busy or off the hook or something like that because so many people are flooding them with phone calls and also it is generally known that this guy's just a tool anyway before all this happened so justin you just played high school several years ago your perspective on this I'm right there with you guys, and especially um, I produce with Kerry Clark the, the Friday Night Live show that we do here on Tide on Friday covering high school um, football. Um, we've seen our share of um, routes this season uh, from Gordo, from uh, you know Hillcrest, and all these other schools. One thing we talk about a lot on that show is running clock. Typically when a team is up by 20, you'll see a running clock put in. Um, and the only way that you get that is by agreement from both of the coaches. I'm wondering, I, I'm just trying to figure out how they had enough time to even score that many points. And I'm wondering if it's because the coach denied the running clock, which makes it even, I, even worse yeah. for, of a, uh, just a nasty situation and awful, awful leadership and coaching from, um, from the coach there. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to keep a real close eye. As some of you know, I do a lot of work for high schools, and I, I do some games on Friday nights through my uh, good buddy Adam Stocks. He used to produce our show many, many years ago from the River Sports Network, and I enjoy doing that. And Justin's spot on. Uh, I've done some games where they've gotten, you know, it's, it was really, really lopsided at the half. Sometimes they agree to do it. Sometimes the, the coach that is trailing, a lot doesn't want to do it because he wants to get his team some more snaps but you're right they both have to agree and in this case i'm not sure mark o'brien did i do not know that as a matter of fact i did a story a few years ago for bleach report about God, it was in uh it was in uh western kansas i think and a team got beat something like a hundred to zero but uh, the, the opposing coach like did everything in his power to to not have the score be that way, right? Uh, short of just taking a knee every play, and you can't really do that. Uh, and there was absolutely no hard feelings whatsoever. He he did it in a sportsman like way, and, and and he still felt terrible about it. But, I mean, you know, sometimes it's just uh, you, you can't avoid it. I mean, maybe it was 80 to zero. But, you can't but, tell the kids not to try, even yeah. if they're third teamers. They want to yeah. play. Yeah. That's a difficult situation. Anyway, I will keep you up to date, like I said, on this particular story and update you. Coming up, top of the hour, you want to talk about an exciting game. Tim Brando did it last Thursday night. 
and he's going to describe the last 12 seconds of West Virginia Houston. Houston coming up to top of the hour on Big Noon Sports. WTBC Tuscaloosa and W265CG Tuscaloosa, a town square media station. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Indeed, this is Big Noon Sports. All right, Justin, I'm just going to have to talk on air with you because uh, I was away from my microphone during that break, tending to a couple of things of note. Is our man Tim Brando up and on? He sure is. All right, let's talk to Tim Brando. Do you, uh, and again, I'm just, we are doing on-air producing here. Can you play what happened last Thursday night for me, please? Well. Last completions in a row. This will be his last, and it's for the football game. If he can get it off. To the end zone. Tick. And he caught it. Let's go. Holy Toledo. Stephon Jackson does it again. Tim Brando on the call at the end of the West Virginia-Houston game. Tim, isn't that just the greatest feeling in the world to call it and <laughs> nail it? I mean, I felt you, man. I said, all right, Brando, way to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, that is as close to Nirvana as uh, – and it's true in any sport, uh, by the way. Uh, you know, in baseball – it can happen from time to time when you sort of anticipate, you know, what a hitter might be doing and, and can it happen? You know, will it happen? Uh, and, and our, our job as play by play people is the first guess, not to, not to predict or to be, uh, or, or to, to be contrived, but to, to just use, you know, our background and, and maybe just some information in that, in that situation, uh, the one thing I definitely wanted to do was get in a, a stat that was very meaningful, which was Donovan Smith had completed 15 consecutive passes. Now he's got one more to complete. And if he does, it's for the game, if he can get it off, because he was going to be pursued heavily and was. He had to kind of roll to his left to get away from pressure before heaving the ball into the end zone. And, uh, you know, and, and prior to that, what you didn't hear, because it was not, that was actually the play itself, but to have had West Virginia score a touchdown with 12 seconds left. Right. Uh, and then have a celebration penalty, which the other quarterback was the guilty party in, <laughs> which gave them about half the field because they had to kick off from their 20 yard line. What it meant was, and we said it that, you know, with seven seconds left, uh, even though they had no timeouts left, a, a sideline 
throw to get the ball to midfield would then give them an opportunity to throw it to the end zone. With seven seconds left, you've got a shot at getting two plays off. And as it turned out, that's exactly what happened. So, you know, in that moment, at that time, that that's as good as it gets for a play-by-play guy. And uh, and and for the game to be won, won and lost and then won again uh, for for Houston based on what had happened, they're, they're trying to win the game with their defense and can't do it. But yeah, their offense gets a break because of that celebration penalty, which enables them to get some decent field position. And then, you know, a Hail Mary that uh, is full of grace and gives the touchdown to the home team. And that was their first Big 12 victory. And it was happening for Dana Holgerson against his old team, against right. West Virginia. Yeah. So it had a lot of it had a lot of emotion, raw emotion to it. And lo and behold, uh, where am I going this week? back to Houston uh, for a 4 o'clock Eastern game and start at 3 o'clock in the Central time zone and they're playing Texas a team that hates Houston and of course Houston hates them Texas said that they would never play in 2001 uh, the lost Dodge said we will never play a game again in uh, Houston, Texas that was prior to uh, their move away from the the uh, Southwest Conference, there was just a lot of angst. The best way to put it um, about Houston and Texas, to put it in terms that you can understand in Alabama, Matt, it would be like Alabama being forced to play UAB. And you remember what that was all about. Um, What the Alabama Board of Trustees tried to do, Bear Bryant Jr. tried to do to end UAB football. You remember all that. It was a political nightmare uh, in the state. And, of course, prior to that, in basketball, with Anderson's view of Gene Bartow, and, and that all, you, you know the history there. It's a similar, it's a similar kind of political history with uh, Texas and the University of Houston. They've got a huge medical center at Houston, got a lot of money, uh, and uh, Tillman Fertitta, who's their biggest supporter, sort of the boom pickings of the Houston program, uh, he, he defies all Texas alumni that, that believes that Houston is a commuter school. He just absolutely uh, hates that and has let them know that. And as a lovely parting gift, the Big 12 commissioner decided as Texas was making its way out of uh, the Big 12 to go into the SEC, they have in front of them now four games on the road, three of them in the state of Texas, and the one place where the Lost Dodge said that said they'd never play again, they've got to go to on Saturday afternoon. So, so we've got quite a storyline going into that game next week, this week. Holy Toledo! That popped up in that play-by-play. That <laughs> just cracked <laughs> up. Yeah. <laughs> Normally, your, I don't like your... it when a color guy steps on a play-by-play guy, but I found that very acceptable. Well, yeah, and Spencer knows. Listen, he's. He's not shouting. He's just reacting. And and I've got no problem with it. We're, we're a team, you know, and he uh, he just he, – that's a natural reaction. Uh, you know, I, I want to make sure that I get the name of the person correct. There's about five guys all, you know, like human pogo sticks jumping around trying to come down with it. My, my spotter, Brett Bender, is working in concert with me to make sure that we get the actual correct name. You never want to have to correct that. You want to get it right. Uh, the first time and yes 
Yeah, we did, and uh, but Spencer, you know, he he's he's an established, outstanding broadcaster. He knows what's acceptable and what's not, and he was just, you know, he was overtaken with emotion too. I I don't want a robot to be next to me uh, by any stretch. So I've I've never had a problem with um, uh, dialogue of any kind over a, a major play call because he. You know, the floor was mine. He knew it, and I my voice reigned supreme, and that's it. And that sequence, and that's that's as it should be. I I, I think anyone that uh, gets upset about that kind of thing, and I know some play-by-play people, Matt, do. I think they're being nitpicky, and I think they're filled with hubris if that's the case. If you love your analysts, and is the analysts love isn't the whole goal. Isn't mm-hmm. the whole goal to entertain your listeners, Absolutely. your TV viewers? And sure I think when your color guy does that, it's not like you said perfectly, Tim. He was yeah. reacting to the moment, right? And that's exactly. that's really cool. It's, it's raw emotion in the moment. <laughs> I mean, who would say? Who wouldn't say in that situation if, as you're watching that, he caught it? <laughs> Holy Toledo! Uh, yeah, that's. I mean, who another thing who is, is you know, I, I just I just needed to make sure. That it was Stefan Johnson that got credit for the catch. Yeah. And again, for me, it was about the buildup, then the throw, and then of course after it happens, we we name him, we we lay out, and there's a good thirty seconds of of crowd reaction, which is exactly what you want. So uh, it it was um, amazing, and you know it was a Thursday night game. The building was about you know. I'd say sixty percent full. It wasn't a packed out. No, Thursday night games are not going to pack the house. This time around, you got Texas coming in, and they're going to have an SRO crowd, so it'll be amazing. But the crowd reaction, you would have thought it was packed at the moment that that play happened. And it was certainly a uh, a moment that if, if Houston can somehow, you know, get to a bowl game this year, <laughs> that game will be the catalyst. You know, that moment will be yeah. uh, the moment that became the seminal moment of their uh, inflection point, really, of their season. Uh, And to say, holy Toledo, which is kind of our school type. I mean, I remember my dad would say that. You don't hear everybody say holy Toledo anymore. I think that made it even more special. Hey, uh, Tim, uh, can we hang on to you another 10 minutes or so? Sure, absolutely. All right. Uh, You're listening to Tim Brando on Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars and Justin. Lars is actually, just to explain something to you real quickly, Lars is on his way over here to pick up me as we are going to go. We announced this yesterday. Uh, Dear colleague's mother, Robbie Glenn, died over the weekend, and we are going to that funeral. So we're going to cut out at 1.30 right after Tim. And guess who's coming on early? Ryan Fowler. So I know how much you guys like to talk to him. Call him now, 205 348 9904, you can talk to him at the bottom of the hour, but I appreciate Ryan doing that very much. We'll be back with Tim Brando on Big Noon Sports. It's the third down to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Fox Sports. Tim Brando is our guest on Big Noon Sports. Tim, is this the most unsaving-like team you've seen Alabama have? In terms of overall talent, yes. 
I would also say in terms of winning, yes, because they've found some ways to win that I think is a credit to Nick as a coach because they just do not have uh, what they normally do. And I, I will give them credit for finding a way to win, although I think they've been fairly fortunate to get some of those Ws. I mean, Arkansas, I'm going to take you back at the end of that game, fourth quarter. I was out in Oregon. We had a late game. After we did the game in Houston, Spencer and I flew on Friday out to uh, Portland and uh, then took about a two-hour drive into Corvallis. And, you know, I had a, had a, had a day to, to, to get accustomed to the, to the Pacific time zone, and we did a game Saturday night, which was late in the afternoon on Saturday afternoon in uh, Corvallis, Oregon. So I had plenty of time to watch the Arkansas-Alabama uh, game, uh, and I, I thought that <laughs> they were completely out outplayed the entire second half. Uh, KJ Jefferson's the kind of quarterback you think would be playing for Alabama, not Arkansas. Uh, and 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 as good as Jalen Milrow is coming around, and he is improving, uh, he's limited. There's only so much that he can do uh, at the position, and they're trying to coach around some of the flaws that Jalen still has, which is clearly being in the pocket. Um, and I. You know, they're, they're rolling him out more. They're doing more things with him, trying to get a little bit more creative. Uh, I think sometimes they, they get caught up in that and they forget to, to run the ball maybe as, as much as I'm sure their fan base would like them to run the ball. But a lot of that is about trying to get Milrow into a group, which, which a lot of fans I'm sure can't understand. But that, you know, he needs to feel like that the team is his. And I think that's what, Tommy Reese and, and, and Saban are trying to massage with him, especially with the games coming up. Now, I'm just going to tell you up front, I don't, I don't like their chances to clear these next two games uh, with, with wins in both. Uh, Tennessee, I believe, can beat Alabama. Uh, LSU, in my opinion, uh, can beat Alabama. Uh, and I think Alabama to split would be doing a hell of a job, to be honest, with this version of what their team is. But if you go back and remember what Arkansas had done, they've got the ball. They're right around the 40, 45-yard line, maybe past midfield, right at midfield. And they were really calling. Their offensive guys were calling a great game. And the running back, whose name escapes me, I don't think it was Roger Sanders. I don't think he was in there. I think it was um, another back. But they ran off the right side, and Alabama's defense was misaligned. And I'm telling you, Matt, the ball, he's going to go 20, 25 yards. The kid might have even scored a touchdown. And the turf monster got him. You remember the play I'm talking about? Yeah, I do uh, now that yeah. you bring it back up. Yeah, he I, tripped over Matt, the hash mark. Yeah, he tripped over the hash mark. It was just a turf monster situation. And they were faced with third and long. And on the next play, uh, KJ got sacked. All right. They, they came with pressure and they got a sack. And that's. That's what forced Arkansas to have to punt the ball with about five minutes left, and they never got the ball back. So that was their last possession. If that play doesn't happen, and that was just good fortune for Alabama, okay? If that play goes for as long as I think it's going to go, they either score on that play or they score very soon after that. The chances of them 
you know, uh, you know, getting a lead was, I mean, it was there. I mean, that game could have been stolen by Arkansas. Uh, but Alabama hung on, and when Milrow had to make a play, they needed to get a first down on third down. I think there was some question as to whether they would throw it or not throw it. You know, he got he got the pass off against pressure. I got hit hard in the midsection, got the ball to the line to make, and that put the game away. So the tide held on to get that win. And and, and I hear the, the, the reaction from everyone in Alabama, even some of the pundits in the SEC, is, oh, they relaxed. They, they, no, it, wasn't having, it had nothing to do with that. Arkansas outplayed them, and Arkansas had the talent to outplay them. They had the better quarterback. They've got good backs. They've got good personnel. Arkansas's played everyone tough. I mean, not just Alabama. They play. They oh, just yeah. haven't. They just haven't finished the game. You know, they got to get. Arkansas's problem is they haven't been able to finish off the game. They've they played really hard and really well against people. They've got talent too. The issue for me, if you're Alabama, is how do we get to a point where Arkansas is as competitive and as talented as we are? And that's just a fact. That you can't get past that. Saban is a hell of a coach. I think when you hear Alabama fans talk, it's all about Tommy Reese. is a joke. Of course, it's always about the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator. It's the same it's the same line from all the Alabama fans that are just, you know, I've been an, uh, you, you've heard them. I've been an Alabama fan since 1963. They're all going to say the same thing. It's always going to be the coordinator's fault. It's never Nick's fault. And, uh, you know, our kids coming along and Jalen, people just need to get off Jalen Milrow and blah, blah, blah. Jalen, Jalen is a hell of an athlete playing quarterback, but he's not a hell of a quarterback. He's a hell of an athlete playing the position of quarterback. And this is the first time that Nick has had a team that's tried to win despite the quarterback. Okay. That's a hard thing to do every week. And I think there will come a time when a defense is good enough to force Jalen Milrow to beat them with his arm, not with his leg. That's what happened with Texas. And I think it's going to happen again, whether it's with Tennessee this time around or a couple of weeks after against LSU. The thing, the thing that's got to be particularly bothersome about both Tennessee and LSU as the next matchup is that unlike Arkansas, Matt, those teams force you to score to win. Okay, Tennessee's offense is going to score enough points that the onus will be on Alabama to score a lot of points. And if you thought you had to score a lot of points to beat Tennessee, you're going to have to score even more points to beat LSU because that's the best offense in the, in the conference without a doubt. And, and their defense may, may be improving or maybe, maybe they look better than they should have looked because Auburn's offense wasn't very good on Saturday night. All right, you can look at it either, you know, one of two ways. But know this about LSU: their offense is the most prolific offense in the conference right now. Yeah. And 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 Alabama, if they beat LSU, is going to have to probably score forty-five to do it. And I don't think they're capable of that. Tim, I've got one minute. As I just mentioned a minute ago, we're limited on time. Who are the best four teams in Brando's poll, and who right now leads in? Right. Well, I've got Michigan one, and I, I know people say, well, they haven't played anybody. Yeah, but you know what? Like Georgia, well, unlike Georgia, they've beaten people up. They, yep. they are, they're playing to their own standards. Okay, so I've still got them there. Uh, I believe Washington 
certainly deserves to be behind Georgia, uh, and they are. I've got I've got Georgia where I've got them. I've got Washington right there, and I think that the next best team you could make a strong case uh, is Oregon, even though they lost that game. Dan Lanning lost it on analytics. If he hadn't gone on fourth and three, or if he had taken points at the end of the first half, you know, Oregon might have won that game. But those are the best four right now that are playing in college football, in my opinion. Heisman, Heisman leader right now, Tim. I'll let you go. Well, the kids from Florida State, I think I've got Florida State ranked ahead of Oregon for obvious reasons. But uh, their quarterback right now, in, in my opinion, has got to be considered. And I think also Michael Penix of Washington is the leader. We can we can see USC for the fraud that they are. Caleb Williams is the uh, Heisman hopes are done. Dad, for good. Three picks will do it to you. All right, Tim. Thank you. Have a good call this weekend. I know you will. Appreciate your time as always. Thank you, Matt. Take care of yourself. You I hope your in-law is okay, and I'm sorry for your loss. Yes, thank you very much. Ryan Fowler is going to start his show 30 minutes early. And that is what's coming up right after this break. Built to win. Touchdown, Alabama. Built for championships. Throws intercepted Alabama. Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide look to get revenge on Tennessee. Our coverage begins at 1130 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner, too. It's back.com. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Hi, former C. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r r Cigars, the Cigar Man. 
Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around, and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world renowned cigar and spirits destination. From Tea Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. into Big Noon Sports. I'm Ryan Fowler. I'm going to sit in with you for the last 30 minutes, and then we'll end up uh, handing off to my show coming up at 2 o'clock. A lot of things to talk about, a lot of things to discuss. We will take some phone calls filling in for Matt Coulter and Lars Anderson uh, getting out of here just a couple of minutes early. And uh, I came in, and, uh, hey, it was a great day. You know, I, I went to City Cafe, got a little charged up, uh, got plenty of uh, good food, good substance, uh, Having, hanging out with the best fans in the country requires a little bit of energy. And I want to go to a couple different things because I want to look at the Tennessee-Alabama rivalry for just a couple of minutes. Uh, Justin, you, you may or may not believe this, but Alabama used to lose to Tennessee. And it was a very streaky rivalry. But uh, when you look at Alabama, would go on these runs. Tennessee would go on these runs. When I was a student here, we were on a little losing game streak. And, and it was not pretty. It was uh, I remember Jason Witten. The Dallas Cowboy tied in from a couple of years ago. He came to Bryant-Denny. It was a very simple elementary pop pass. It was simple route, and we could do nothing to stop him. I can still see that number one jersey. It's what he wore. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I need to look that up. But I think it was number one. Jason Witten, uh, and I can still see that jersey completing passes or completing receptions uh, there ju- just when when what he was able to do to Alabama. He was. He was number one. So, uh, And I can even you know spot back times and memories of losing to Tennessee. I have family that is from the state. They live actually in Weirs Valley, which is between Sevierville and Townsend, Pigeon Forge, that area right there. They live right on the mountain. It's beautiful. But uh, you go in their home, and there's Tennessee this, and there's Tennessee that. you got to sit in a cushion out on the rocking chair looking at the Great Smoky Mountains, and it's Tennessee, big orange, and uh, they like to aggravate me. So I was I married my wife in 99. So actually before that, uh, maybe I was a year off, 98. And so That's something you need to get right. Well, I know, <laughs> I know 25 is coming up this March, and I, I'll make sure that I've got that straight. So whatever year that was, i got to go back and look, I guess. But uh, – uh, but going into their home and watching Alabama get to, to just beat, and then now we flip the script until last year, and it was 1907 record. So I guess from your perspective, you don't really – do you have the hatred for Tennessee that most Alabama fans hate? Because I think you almost have to live through those consecutive losses. And I can only imagine from their standpoint of losing 16 years in a row to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Do you remember the hatred? I mean, do you have the same hatred? You know, I, I really don't. I feel like I have a very vague memory of the uh, Mount Cody block, you know, from the perspective of four foot off the ground, maybe. <laughs> but I I don't. I All I know is is beating Tennessee. Third Saturday in October isn't so It's much. a win. It's, it's a, a win. win. It's a cigar and 
and then we go about our business, and we're and we're not looking forward to Tennessee, but we're looking forward to Auburn. That's what I kind of grew up on with. Although they haven't beaten us as much either, but their their wins are sprinkled in there and have given me the. And in the back of your mind, to me, you cannot have a football season without having the third Saturday of October, and to even think that we're flirting with a possibility of not playing Tennessee every year. It, it's almost like you get to this week, and we've heard all the talk throughout the offseason. Hey, they may go to this scenario. They may go to a 7-1 and one model where you have seven permanent teams, excuse me, one permanent team and seven rotating where you play everybody in four years. And But I can't even imagine not having a game. You know, a couple of weeks ago, there was a writer over in Mississippi that wrote that the Alabama-Ole Miss rivalry, the Alabama-Mississippi State rivalry may be going away for a little bit of time. And it may come back, but this continuation of playing Tennessee every single year, it just it, it almost stings you a little bit. It almost gets you to the mindset where you're thinking, could this really happen? I mean, could, yes, it can. It can. So what we'll do is we'll open up some phone calls, but to even think about uh, this game could go away. So it almost really makes you appreciate the significance of it when you get to this week, the third Saturday of October. The temp is beginning to fall, right? We hit the 40s last night. The leaves are beginning. And I love this time of the year because, to me, it's God's painting a beautiful portrait, right? The leaves begin to change. I live out in the country. Uh, I don't live. I mean, it's not like I live out in the sticks. Uh, I live about 15 minutes west of Tuscaloosa, out close to Lake Lurleen. And right now the, the Leafs are starting to change, but another couple of weeks. But it's just it's this time of the year that it feels like football weather. The temps are beginning to drop. And uh, so we'll discuss it. We'll take some uh, thoughts. We'll take some analysis. But when you look at this Alabama-Tennessee game, when you look at the third Saturday of October, even think that we're flirting with this. But, you know, it's bigger than this. And I heard Tim Brando just a couple of minutes ago talking about Alabama. And there were some parts that he said that I'm going to agree with. There's other parts that I'm looking at and I'm questioning. Here's the problem. Nick Saban hit 200 wins on Saturday. The problem is this. Nick Saban has conditioned our brain to think this is what Alabama is supposed to look like. This is who Alabama is supposed to be, right? Alabama is supposed to be a team that's fairly clean when you talk about, right, when, when you talk about the jerseys, whether you're talking about that beautiful crimson jersey at home or those road whites. This is what an Alabama team under Nick Saban is supposed to look like. And this one doesn't remind you of those characteristics, when you look at this Alabama team on the offensive side of the football, who do you have to circle? Who do you have to account for? Who do you have to go out there? All right, I got to know where Mark Ingram is. Right there he is. Right there. Okay, hold on. Whoa, they're going to line him up in the, the wild tide, as we called it? Or are they going to move him here? We got to make sure we know where he is. How about Derrick Henry? Oh, yeah, we got this one. Yep, we got him right here. Here he is. Amari Cooper. Where, where's Amari? Up. Oh, uh, yep, we, we got to make sure we account for him. On this team? Who do you have to count for on the offense? You got a below average offensive line. You got below average wide receivers. You have a, I'm being nice, an average quarterback. You know, Tim Brando said he was an athlete playing quarterback. At times he does. He does look like an athlete playing quarterback. So you, you, you try not to be negative, but, it, but some of that, it holds water. 
when you look at this offensive side of the football, it's not what you're accustomed to seeing. I was asked this morning, I was on in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and a guy said, uh, what's the confidence like that Alabama can compete for a championship? I said, well, I think there's still a path, but it's more about where they've been in the first seven games. Is there a light switch out there that they can hit and they automatically get dialed in and they beat Tennessee and they beat LSU and they beat Kentucky on the road and they beat Chattanooga here, they go to Auburn and beat them, go to SEC title game and beat Georgia? And I know a lot of Alabama fans out there pulling for Georgia to slide. You really don't need Georgia to slide. You, you really need them to continue to win. You want them to be number one when you play them in the SEC championship game in Atlanta? You want Georgia to be there. You want them to be standing tall and say, hey, we're the number one team in the country, and Alabama just beat you by 17 points. And then you make that argument that you belong in the college football playoffs. Phone line's completely jammed up, so we'll get to those coming up in a couple of minutes, and uh, we will take scores early on the Dreamland score prediction days. So I appreciate Matt and uh, Lars for allowing me to come in for a couple of minutes, and I want to read you another tweet because this may be the part that will tie all this together. Try to wrap it around. Dabo Sweeney, just a couple of minutes ago, was in a press conference and said, Dabo Sweeney on Clemson fans' unrealistic expectations. You could apply this to Alabama. We're at a point where if you, go un- if you don't go undefeated, you're losers. You're terrible. And this is just such a, a terrible mindset. Honestly, Maybe we need to lose a few games and lighten up the bandwagon. Sometimes the bandwagon can get a little full, too full, end quote. Brett McBurphy puts up there, so Tigers have made 12 consecutive seasons with at least 10 victories, but will miss the college football playoff for the third straight year. Could you apply that to Alabama? Because Alabama, possibly, not winning a national title for three consecutive years. Maybe college football has changed. And for Clemson, you're not a historical tradition of winning. Dabo's giving you things that really, yeah, I mean, I get it. Andy Ford did it in the 80s. But when you look at Dabo, he's given something to Clemson that they didn't have. And so I guess a little bit different mindset, but I almost asked the question, and I know we're going to 12-team playoffs, and that will, need, that will be the new barometer, right? If you get into those 12 teams, it'll be considered success. If you don't, then it won't be. So maybe this is the new college football. I'm a big fan of the NFL. I like to follow these Alabama guys. Love to watch the Alabama guys run up and down the sidelines. You know, whether it's Bryce going up against two of this past week or if you're having a chance to watch Amari Cooper and the Cleveland Browns beat the San Francisco 49ers or whomever, just to follow these guys, to watch these guys have success. It's a lot of fun to be able to watch these young men develop from high school players to college, to college, to the NFL, and not just at the NFL, but being superstars at that level. Any given Sunday, you can be beat. We're working our way to college football where any given Saturday you can be beat. Not just a easy statement, but that's where we're at in college football. And I don't know if it's the talent been spread thin, and I know we have some news around the NIL. I've told you for weeks, don't count on Washington, D.C. to clean this up. We've created this. Now we're going to have to fix it. How are we going to have to fix it? Well, there's going to have to be some leaders take charge in the commissioner's side of things. Some of these commissioners at the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, the Pac-12 is going to have to stand up and going to have to take charge 
of this wonderful NIL world that they've created because of their neglect. So we'll take some phone calls, sitting in for just a couple of minutes with Lars and Matt. They had a to slip out a couple of minutes early, so I came in a couple of minutes early to uh, hang out with the best fans of the country. We'll come back. We'll take some phone calls on the other side. Phone line's completely jammed up. Joseph, Greg in Athens, Paul and Lincoln, Bubba, and many others. We'll take some scores. We'll take some thoughts. But Nick Saban audio, something that you may have missed, we'll play it next. Something that uh, grabbed me a little bit yesterday, talking about this rivalry and a lot more. You're listening to Big Noon Sports on Tide 100.9 and 1230 WTBC, your home for Alabama Crimson Tide Sports. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m., the Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow for a wild card Wednesday as we look inside the playbook. We'll also talk about I want to see more of what. We'll look at the keys to victory as we look to the third Saturday in October. Those conversations and more right here on the Martin Houston Show, powered by Max Sport. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny sky this afternoon, the high today 68 degrees. Clear tonight, the low 46. Tomorrow, sunny with a high at 73. Thursday, clouds gradually increasing, a chance of showers Thursday night. The high Thursday at 71. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 67 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More big noon sports coming up. into Big Noon Sports. I'm filling in for the final 30 minutes with uh, Matt and Lars. Uh, They had to get out a couple of minutes early, so we'll be with you all the way until 6 p.m. We'll do a Dreamland School Prediction Day. Phone line's completely jammed up, and we'll get to those coming up in just a couple of seconds. Let me go back to Nick Saban's opening comments because he said a lot to recap Alabama and Arkansas, but also looking ahead to this third Saturday of October. Listen to what the best coach in college football had to say on his Monday noon press conference. I know you heard it right here on Big Noon Sports, uh, but it's just something I want to dive into just a little bit here with Nick Saban. So after watching, you know, the Arkansas game, um, I think we did a lot of really good things in the game. I think it was also fairly apparent that um, when we had mental intensity, good mental energy, good focus, uh, we actually executed pretty well. And there were times in the game, uh, especially in the second half, you know, where we sort of lost our mental edge, our intensity, uh, affected our focus, um, and we didn't play as well and actually let the other team get back in the game. So I think the lesson to be learned in all that is you got to maintain intensity for 60 minutes in the game regardless of the score. I mean, there's games out there every week where people have leads and, you know, lose their focus and, you know, the outcome is not, you know, what you would want it to be. So, um, you know, this game we're playing against Tennessee, big rivalry game means a lot to a lot of people uh, in the state of Alabama, and I'm sure there too. Um, It's one of the best rivalries in college football. Uh, They have a really good team. They're ranked in the 15th or whatever and uh, so they have a really really good team very explosive you know Josh Hypo has done 
you know, an outstanding job there. You got to, you know, they play with great tempo on offense, which is challenging for the defense, but their ability to run the ball and create balance has been, you know, pretty phenomenal this year. I mean, they run it for like 230, pass it for like 210, whatever. Um, and that kind of balance is always something that uh, is difficult. Uh, their defense is playing really, really good. Uh, they're in the top three or four, you know, in the SEC, uh, ranked nationally and, you know, negative plays, sacks, tackles for loss, um, you know, and those types of things. Uh, I think Joe Milton is a really good quarterback. They've got three really good runners who have all been very productive. Uh, they've got good skill guys outside. So this is, you know, all, all around, you know, a really, really, you know, good team. So it's important for us, you know, to have a great week of preparation and um, be able to maintain focus in practice, in meetings, uh, in whatever we're doing to be able to carry that forward in a game and be able to sustain it in a game for 60 minutes, which is what it's going to take in a game like this. All right, so Nick Saban said when we talk about um, the mental focus, okay, and I wrote down mental edge as one of the words that he used. He said it a couple different ways, but uh, mental edge, focus, uh, attention to detail, all of these things can be under one thing. When this team has it, they're a great-looking football team. But they haven't been able to play. I mean, there's one game that we can look back and say this this team did not take a break. And I know, I know you're not able to say mental sharp. I'm not able to do it for four hours. I know they're not able to do it for three and a half. They're not able to do it for four quarters. If this team is able to do that, I don't think there's a team in college football that they cannot beat. I don't think there's a team in college football that Alabama can go, if we play our best, they can beat anybody in the country. Whoever wants some. Florida State, Washington, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. If Alabama plays at their best, then then they can beat a lot of teams that they're – but they could also lose some of those games. They, they could be one of those teams that slip up. They could be one of these teams that has multiple blemishes on their resume, not just Texas. These next couple of weeks will probably define. We, we look at Texas A&M. We thought that was a building block. Okay, here we go. It's a launching pad for this Alabama team. And then what happened? They regress. Now, we can hope and we can make up excuses and we can say, well, maybe they were looking ahead to Tennessee. We could say that. We could also say maybe this is just who this team is. Seven games into it, not game number one, not game number two, not game number three. This is who this Alabama team is. It's frustrating. It's like a roller coaster. But I go back to what Dabo said a couple of minutes ago. Maybe we just need to look at the expectations. Maybe that's our problem. Let's continue. We'll take phone calls, and we'll go to Joseph. Joseph, your first stop on Big Noon Sports. I hope you're having a great day. What's up, guys, Fallon? I bet you love what Tim Brando said a couple of minutes to go, do you not? I totally agree with him, uh, Ron. So I'll be honest with you. I mean, uh, he's right. I mean, Jalen Burrow is a great athlete. I mean, they, they, there's no fault. But as far as his straight quarterback, you look at the straight quarterback, I mean, it's hard to say that he's a really outstanding quarterback. But here, but I mean, here I is my- – Here's the difference, okay? When you look at Amari Cooper, excuse me, when you look at Blake Sims and the Amari Cooper record-setting season, they figured out what they could do, and they said, okay, Blake Sims, we know that you're a scout team guy. We know that you've been kind of pressed into into responsibility. Let's figure out what you can do, and we're going to highlight your strengths and disguise your weaknesses. Tommy Reese has done very little of that, very little of that. 
I agree, and I'm gonna be honest with you, though, Ryan Tyler. I think we're gonna come out and blow Tennessee out of the water. To be honest, I believe Alabama just get pissed off from last week, and I believe that. Well, there's plenty to coach. Well, I mean, I believe Saban's just to get that. I mean, Saban's just to get all over the boys after what they played last week. And you just said completely different Alabama. You're like, dang, where did this Alabama team come from? And I'm going to go to a different, different team this Saturday. Now, that being said, that being said, I think the score is going to be, uh, I would say, 20, 28, to, 28 to 17. That's what I'm going to say. Alabama? Uh, yeah, Alabama. This team hasn't got out of the 20s all year, right? I mean, really. I mean, they, they, their high ceiling is. Well, only the non-conference games that they're able to stretch out a little bit, and they kind of skew the numbers. Yeah, but uh, I'm just going to be honest with you, Ryan, man. Uh, do you know what Julian's saying? Do I know him? I've interviewed him. I don't know him, but I, I've interviewed him. I mean, have you watched him, like, how good he is? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's legit. He supposedly won all the awards that Tua Tungle Award for him, correct? I don't know about all the awards. He was the elite 11 MVP. So was Tua Tungavaloa. And Bryce Young, right? Now, was Bryce Young the elite 11 MVP? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I know Tua was. I mean, I would assume that Bryce was, but I I don't know that for certain. Well, my, my, my question to you, Ron Fowler, is if this kid is good, as they say he is, and he and he's good as they advertise. Because I'm going to tell you, Ryan, without a doubt, you know freshman Tua, freshman Tua Tungvaloa would beat Milrow out of this job. You know that. You can't say because they would. A freshman Tua would beat Milrow in the quarterback battle. And I'm going to say, if this kid is good as advertise, I don't see how he don't start next year, to be honest with you. I mean, how are you going to keep him off the field, Ryan, if, he, if he's just as good as Tua was or just as good as Brian well, was? Well, but, but see, I think there's going to be some competition. I mean, you've got Milrow that will have the, you know, the previous starting experience. He would have the advantage. But I think there'll be a all-out spring quarterback competition, whether it's Julian saying. But watch out, man. I continue to hear some great things about Dylan Lonergan behind the scenes. I know he's a freshman. I know he's still growing. It's a development position. But some of the things that I've heard behind the scenes, very positive. So I wouldn't count out that young man. Well, I mean, I wouldn't count him out, but I mean. But, I mean, what will it take to unseat Jalen Milrow? A bunch. Well, well, I mean, Jalen Milrow is going to have that aspect that uh, Jalen Hurts had. Because it's going to be hard to pry Saban off of it now, I think. But um, well, and and we've watched Nick Saban many times be very loyal to his his quarterbacks. There you go. He's been loyal. Because That's a problem. you know when you go back at 2017 to his freshman season, I mean, I talked to so many different players on the offensive side of the football that would talk about how great Tua was in practice. But Nick Saban had to have an excuse to go there. And he did. He he got that excuse. Uh, Brian well, Dable. Me, the, go ahead. Well, see, to me, that was not the veto excuse to go there. To me, like, hey, look, I love your kid. I love that you thank you for all you've done. But it's more or less, 
you know, hey, this kid's beating you out. This kid's playing better. This kid gives us the best chance to win. But I, I'm gonna have to start this kid over. I don't, I don't get, I don't get the lawyer card because in college football, in college football, the best guys should play. I don't care how much experience one guy has. If a guy, whether it's a senior or a freshman, if the guy is better than the guy ahead of him, he should get the start. Experience comes when you get in the game and you go. But if he's got a better arm, better accuracy, and he makes better decisions, he needs to be in the football game tonight. I mean, I, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not saying Julius Hayes is going to do that because he's in high school and nobody knows how he's going to react when he gets to college. Nobody does. Because, I mean, he, he can get out there like a deer in hell. I thought Ty Simpson was going to be really good as a five-star. He got out there and looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, this, uh, Julius Hayes could be well, the same I mean, way. We've had a lot of quarterbacks. Blake Barnett in 2016 that, you know, that asked Jalen Hurts to be pressed into, into duty. Um was that guy. Deer in the headlights look. USC got him. Uh, Joseph, give me a tiebreaker real quick. Uh, tiebreaker? Well, yeah, you, you go... No, no, you get to choose the tiebreaker. I mean, you're the first caller out of the gate. Oh, wow. I've never got to do this before. It's a big honor. Uh, I'm so... I know it. Uh, tiebreaker, let's go with um, Jalen Miro's passing yards. All right, Jalen Milrose passing yards, okay? I'm going to be honest with you, I'm, I'm Brian, I'm trying to reach deep down this year. I'm trying, man. I'm deep. I'm digging deep because I'm want. i I'm an Alabama fan, and I'm going to see Alabama win so bad. But, man, I'll tell you, it's, it's so hard not to go negative this year. I got gotcha. you. It really is. It's so hard. <laughs> gotcha. All right, uh, I got it, man. Thank you so much, Joseph. Hey, what was the number? You didn't, you didn't give me a number. I'm sorry. The number, uh, I'm going to say Jalen Miller's going to have a big day. I'm going to go 250 passing yards. 250. So you believe there. Uh, Joseph, I appreciate you so much. Hey, before I go, do you think Sane will be able to challenge for the job next year or not? I think it would take a lot to win it. I mean, he'll have to, what does it say, leave no doubt? He'll have to leave no doubt. So whoever it is. So uh, overall, you think Miller's well, got I mean, the job? I mean, that, that, was the, that was the situation this year. I mean, that's why Jalen Miller is your quarterback, and, you know, the other guys are sitting on the bench uh, wanting to be the number one quarterback. Hey, thanks, Joseph. I appreciate it. Uh, Appreciate your phone call. We did get it one score in. We'll take more predictions in the four hours between now and 6 o'clock. We've got Mike Dettelier coming up, 2.15. We'll also talk with Josh from College Football Nerds. He is a highly requested guest on our show. We'll do that all starting on the game in a couple of minutes. I appreciate Matt Lars for allowing me to set in here on Big Noon Sports. The game continues in two minutes. T-Town Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama Crimson Tide Sports.